God is a good God. And everybody that said he's not is a liar. Hallelujah. Let's turn our Bibles today to Hebrews 4, 16. And we are going to continue talking about prayer as we are doing on Wednesday evenings. And uh, prayer is not to be used in just a crisis. It is an invitation to God to become a partner in our journeys, our tasks, our battles, and our needs. The word prayer means this, so it encompasses a lot. And so it's not just about asking and getting. It's about carrying out and giving birth to the kingdom of God and his will in this earth. When you pray, let's pray this way, that God, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so prayer should be focused and rounded about God's will being birthed, released, or brought to pass in the earth today. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us, we, the people of God, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, the meaning of prayer is this. It means to ask. It does mean to inquire, to intercede, or to stand in the gap for someone else. It means to give praise. It means to give thanks. It means to confess or to make a confession. It means to wholly meditate or meditate upon holy scriptures. It means to wait upon the Lord. And it means to make a declaration about God. So here in Hebrews 4, 16, it says this, that we have been invited by God. This is an invitation from God to mankind. And it rotates around the necessity or the needs that man encounters in his life. So it's not just getting something from God. God is our need meter. We understand that. And so it's an invitation from God to approach him. And we need to do it boldly, confidently. In other words, all questions should be resolved. You know, prayer is not a place of questions. It is a place of absolutes. It's a place of absolutes. And by that I mean that when God invites us in and says, come into the throne of grace that you may obtain, that right there resolves all questions what the throne of grace is established for. It is established that you would receive something from the almighty, all-knowing, all-supporting, all-need-meeting, almighty God. That is an invitation from you and I. Now, there are a lot of people that don't take that invitation, a lot of people that exclude God from their affairs of life, but we don't want to do that. We want to accept the invitation that God made without us. 
God made this invitation before the foundations of the earth. Before you and I were ever created, God wrote an invitation. Come boldly. Come here. Come to the throne of grace that you may obtain, obtain. God knows that when we approach him that we have needs. Could again get an amen? All right, so God desires for you and I to come before the throne of grace. Why? Because God desires, believe it or not, God desires to provide for you. God desires to be your shield, your high tower. He, he desires to be the keeper of your soul, the protector of it. God desires all of this. Now, some people say, well, why doesn't God just meet my needs? Well, God has a way to, for you to live by faith or to follow the ordered steps of the Lord so that he may do so. But just because people never experience God or don't walk in his will doesn't mean that God isn't what he says he is. It means that men simply don't walk the steps that have been ordered of the Lord. That's it. Sometimes we think that if we're not walking in what God said, that guess what? It must not be his will for us. No, God's not a respect of persons. He has one plan, and that's for you and I, and it's all the same. Amen? And so we have to do our duties or our acts of faith so that God can bring to pass his will. But if we never experience it, it never changes God's will for our life. Thank you, that holy grunt. All right, Hebrews 4.16, a prayer is not a place of questions. Somebody say, there's no questions. There are no lottery answers in heaven. There are no questions or answers to prayer because one has been saved longer or they haven't been saved very long, therefore they need quick answers. I've had that said to me. Well, you know, when you're young, God answers all your prayers so you'll begin to have faith. But when you get older, he doesn't answer as many. I'm thinking, I don't want to be old. But really, on the flip side of that, Abraham was old and God answered his prayers. And so I don't believe that that is a good theology. I think it's a crazy one. Prayer is not a place of questions. If it is, then there is, it would be a place of confusion between faith and reason. Faith is, a prayer is not a place where you question what is going to happen. The Bible says here, come boldly and obtain there are no ifs, whys, well, maybe, somehow, maybe this or condition that. Well, you know, I don't like purple today. I don't like blue today. You know, I'm just fed up with all of humanity. And you know what? I really don't care if any of you kids come home. That's not God's attitude. God's attitude is this. I birthed this throne of grace for one reason, for you to come. Allow me to be who I am to you as a child of God. That's it. There are no questions. In fact, there are not even any demands 
of measures of faith is not there. We want to say, well, if you had more faith, well, I understand if you had more faith, you wouldn't lie, you wouldn't cheat, you wouldn't steal, you wouldn't be late, you wouldn't be unfaithful, you wouldn't be mean to your in-laws, you wouldn't be... And that doesn't mean I'm faithless, it just means I choose not to use my faith toward my in-laws. That was a joke. But God doesn't ask you. Listen, God doesn't ask you to have faith. It's presumed by God and should be accepted by you that if he invites you there, you have enough faith if you approach it to obtain what you have need of. So God's not saying, oh, if you had more faith, if you had this, you had that. No, that's not what God's doing at all. Look, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can transform a world. You can cause a sycamine tree to, to be cast into the sea. You can cause a mountain to be removed and cast into the sea. The point is really not about how much faith that you have. The point is if you stay true to your faith. If you hang on to what you believe. Amen. Yep, there you go. Thank you, Pastor. That's a good, yep. Okay, the quest, the prayer is not a place of questions of what will happen, but a place of assurance that it will happen. Why would you pray if you didn't know the answer? Why would you pray if you were going to wonder that God was going to respond to you. Jesus makes it real simple. Look, the Father has loved me, now he loves you. Ask whatever you will in my name, he'll give it to you. He never mentions faith, he never mentions devotion, he never mentions anything except relationship between the Father and the Son. See, prayer is an inherited position by every believer. And it's not based on the measures of faith that you have or that you could attain. Now, I know a lot of people say, oh, oh, but you know it takes. Yes, I understand that it takes faith to apprehend any promise of God. But for the simple fact that God does not require a level of faith, then it's understood that the faith that you have to approach that throne room is enough for you to receive. Don't, don't question your faith. Question all the questions about your faith. Where they come from? Who spoke them? Why did they show up? There's really not a lack of faith in the body of Christ. It's simply a lack of of keeping hold of it and letting it finish its course. Too many people break down. Don't break down. Your faith won't fail you if you don't fail your faith. So it is a place of obtaining. Somebody say obtaining. That simply means receiving. You go there and you, in the time of need, and God gives you grace. He does something that you can't do on your own 
and he does it so that you can walk away that your joy may be full. In other words, there is a resigning that once you ask God for something, it's done. It's done. Well, what if he forgot to write it on the sticky note? Well, what if he forgot to call me on Tuesday? Well, what if, what if? Don't worry about what ifs. God is in control of the mechanisms of time and of the world. And if you will just hold true, God will bring it to pass. Could it get an amen? Now, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.10 that God's eyes are upon the righteous and his ears are open to some of their prayers. His ears are open to their what? And so if we know that God hears us of the petitions that we ask, then we know that we have the petitions that we ask him of. Now, how many of you believe that God actually hears your prayers? then there is no wavering from this point on. We are going to glue our shoes to the walk of faith. We are going to go crazy. We're going to go way out there, and we're going to believe that God actually told us the truth. <laughs> without perverting it, without watering it down, without redefining it, without explaining it. It doesn't need any explaining. I don't have to tell you why I'm believing for something bigger or smaller than you. All you have to do is not throw a stumbling block in front of my faith. Amen? Don't tell me, well, buddy, boy, that's a big prayer. I got a big God. I don't know that any prayer is little. It all requires a supernatural intervention of God himself because I can't handle what I'm facing. Amen? So say this with me. God hears me. Therefore, I have what I ask. That's pretty simple. Now, if God is a God that doesn't lie, when you come to the throne of grace, you obtain. You say, man, I, I know it. I got it, Pastor. I got it. I know it. I'm trying to fill the leaks that it's going to come back out of from when you leave this service. When you ask, you get. That's it. It's not like being married. You get a third of what you ask. You get a quarter of what you beg for and then you only get 10% of what she thinks you have need of. That's not how prayer works. Prayer works that whatsoever we ask, we receive. That's it. That, that's it. Then God's eyes are upon us and his ears. Now, how many of you believe that God sees you when you do sin? <laughs> I mean, you believe that God hears you. It's a whole lot easier to believe God watches our sin than it is that he hears us. 
We know that God is faithful to record every wrong that we do and every time we stumble, every time we mumble, every time we have a bad thought. That's the negative in the faithfulness of God. But God hears every prayer. Amen. Second Chronicles, which we all know, it says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek me and my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive them, and heal their land. Do you realize that we could erupt our whole nation by prayer? Not in the hands of God. God's already told us what he will do if we pray. But God will not pray for you. You have to pray. In fact, Jesus says, look, I'm making a separation. I'm not going to pray for you anymore. You take upon you this covenant of prayer and you be devoted to a life of prayer and God will meet every need and every desire that you have. Now, we can turn our nation around if we would start believing that God heard us and then stop speaking out of the corner of our mouth. Boy, it's getting bad. I'll tell you what, I don't know what's going to happen. Boy, G's going to come back soon. And boy, this and man, man, oh man, this generation, these people, they're all filled with devils. They're all filled with wickedness. Yes, said the man that couldn't control his tongue and keep faith in God. Now listen, if we would all believe, if we would all believe that God heard us, he will heal this land. And I could take you back to every other generation in Israel and show you that even though they forsook God, let his house fall into ruin, that when they prayed, that God restored their land. And he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The church has been known and is always should be known as a place of prayer. Amen? Prayer is an act of humility. Now let me just make a couple of statements. Number one, anytime a man or a woman tries to handle their affairs by themselves, it's classified as pride. And pride always guarantees you a fall. I was out playing golf with Lincoln, and, you know, he's, he's this tall, lean, you know, golf machine, he thinks. And, you know, he drives and says, boy, isn't it wonderful? I love golf. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm hitting it 60 yards behind him. And uh, Quentin ain't much worse. He drives up there by him. So they keep telling me how good they are. He said, Papa, you ain't never going to be as good as I am. I, I said, look, I understand that. But with the pride that you guys live in, I'm just waiting for you to crash. So about a month ago, guess what? They both crashed. And I beat them every day we played. And they said these words, 
well, if I wasn't playing so bad, I said, well, if you wasn't so prideful, you probably wouldn't be playing so bad. <laughs> well, Papa, you know when you're good, you're good. I said, yeah, but nobody blows it like you. And so, lo and behold, now they're just starting to come out of it. But I'm going to tell them I'm not concentrating because it's the end of the, ser of the season. But I'm not worried about how good they are. It's just the pride that is going to exalt them. They're going to fall. They're going to crumble. And I will triumph. <laughs> so I'm never worried about what happens one day because I know it won't be the same always. Amen. All right. Now, whenever there is a humility or a forsaking of one's pride, and we call upon the name of the Lord. Grace is given to us. Job said in chapter 22 that whenever there is a humbling or a humility that comes from man and he comes to a place that he's fallen, then God will lift him up. See, God will help the humble, but he will resist the proud. Amen? And so... When we humble ourselves, prayer really is putting our cares and our needs into the hands of a God that is waiting to deal with problems. And it says that if we will humble ourselves, that God will give us grace. We know that the devil, like a roaring lion, is going about seeking whom he may devour. Who does he go after? Those that do not embrace life with prayer. Those that are proud, those that think, well, he can't get through. Well, he'll never break through. Well, we can do it on our own. No, no. Listen, your life is far bigger than the job you work, the home you live in, and the community that you're involved in. It's bigger than the church you serve. Listen, you have spiritual warfares going on in every area of your life. Spiritual warfare, soulish warfare. There are physical warfares. There are family warfare. All of these are spiritual manifestations of the desire of the devil to destroy you. And you cannot handle the devil with throwing crumbs out on your sidewalk hoping he'll get filled. You're going to have to attack him and you're going to have to loose God on your behalf against the adversary so that God can deliver us. Could I get an amen? amen? Too many of us are trying to get godly results by earthly attempts. Let's start dealing with life with prayer. When things come, no matter how little it seems, if you don't handle it with prayer, it starts building up. Pretty soon you was only a month behind. Well, now the car broke down. Now you're going to be two months behind because you've got to have a car to get to work, but you don't have any money to pay because you're already behind on a month. And then we start dealing with these things on our natural, and pretty soon you've heard the old additive, well, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't believe it was the last straw. I believe it was the first one. If the first one wasn't there, there'd never be a last one. Deal with things when they come up and deal with them with prayer. Hallelujah. Nothing is impossible. Somebody say nothing. Nothing is impossible to God. 
Nothing is beyond God and nothing is hopeless or too far gone for God to turn it around. David made the craziest example. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Wow. What confidence did a man after God's own heart say, even if I mess everything up so bad that everybody says he's done for this time, if I make it that bad, if I make it that bad, and I call upon the Lord, his arm is not short that it cannot save me. And most of our problems are not the devil. Most of our problems are us. Amen? Well, well, the devil told me to do it. Well, if you know that, quit listening. Or do the opposite. Amen? Let's go to 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, and verse 6 through 9. And I know that we know this about Jehoshaphat, but Jehoshaphat makes a real neat, revelation or unveils real neat prayer secret for us and he and said oh lord god of our fathers art not thou god in heaven and rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen and in thine hand is there no power and might so that none is able to withstand thee art not thou our god who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel and gave us it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear and do what? Help. Why did Jehoshaphat turn to God and pray such a prayer? He prayed it because of a covenant of prayer that was made out of his agreement with Solomon that when Solomon built the temple, he said, God, if a man comes to this house and no matter what's going on in his life, stranger or saint, I'm asking you to hear him. And God said, I will do just that. So God will hear when we're in trouble. What if Jehoshaphat had not prayed? Number one, he wouldn't have heard from heaven. He would have excluded God. Therefore, why does he need to hear from God? And if, we, if he did pray that, then we understand that he believed that God would hear him. He's waiting for a reply. And he reminds God of something. What does he do? He reminds God of what he has said. See, prayer, again, remember, is not filled with questions. It's based on knowing God's will. Just find the scripture and do like Jehoshaphat did. Say, God, this is what you said. And Jehoshaphat 
Man, I'm telling you, he gets hair on his back and appoints singers to go out before him. Now, I would recognize this, that Jehoshaphat wasn't among those he sent out. In other words, it's easier to tell people to believe God than it is to believe him for yourself. Anyway, Jehoshaphat sends him out, and of course, they get the victory. What you cannot do after you pray, do not entertain visible evidence. Visible evidence. You know, I look at Phyllis, and Phyllis is as beautiful. In fact, she's better looking than she was when I married her. How you hear that guy back there going, ha, 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 ha. Now, why did he do that? Because he thinks, because she's get, getting older and things are sagging, but I want to tell you something. All those sags cover up other flaws. Somebody said, well, I got an inverted belly button. Don't worry, it'll disappear. Nobody will know. Now, Phyllis is more beautiful to me than she was when I first married her. Now, you might say, well, your eyes are growing dim. Well, thank God for small blessings. No, I love Phyllis more today than I've ever loved her in my life. Now, that has to do with mental state and things of that nature, but it is the truth. I love Phyllis more than I have in my whole life because it's not based upon outward evidence. It's based on this deep-rooted inside intimacy that I have built with her over the years. Now, the Bible says that we look not when we're in tribulation and temptation, that we aren't to look at the things that are temporal, that are changing. And evidence always changes. Outside evidence always changes. But we are to look at the things that are invisible. Look at what God said. Don't deviate it. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to do anything. Just look at it. Just keep looking at it. And every time, you know, circumstances say, well, what about this, what about that? You just go back to the promise of God and say, this is what God said. And though I don't see it, this is a picture of what is happening behind the scenes by my faithful father. The next thing you don't want to do is get emotionally stirred up. Because what's going to happen is you're going to be forced into activity. Your emotions will demand, don't sit here and do nothing. And there is a time that we sit and we wait. But if we become emotionally stirred, one time the Lord told me to go on radio, and I said, well, I'll, I'll go on radio, but I'll tell you what, I am not going to pay for it. If you meet uh, Kenneth Copeland's need, you'll meet my need. And God said this, kind of stern. I'll meet your need, but I'll be the determining factor how. And I thought, well, what about Kenneth? I'm not here with Kenneth. I'm here with you. 
I said, could you go visit Kenneth and come back? <laughs> no, see, we sometimes want to cause God or make God do it our way. That is not ours to determine. Ours is to stand fast and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? Stand fast and see the salvation of the Lord. So remember, we walk by truth, recorded truth. That is the basis of all faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We are not to be persuaded by it. We are not to be discouraged by it. And we are not to be guided by it. We are not to give place to time. Time is not relevant in the realm of faith. Oh, but I've got bills. God knows all about those things. But concerning you and I, time is not relevant because once we've sown a seed, we are committed to see a harvest. I don't care if, it, if, if you think it's 10 years late. Doesn't matter. We are still committed to seeing the harvest. Amen? And we're going to stand in faith. Why? Because faith pleases God, not just getting answers. And then, number three, number four, we want to make sure that we don't break the process of God working on our behalf. And you can do that if you forsake your faith or the things that keep faith alive. Remember, when Abraham was believing for Isaac, the Bible says man, unbelief and doubt was coming, but he was strong in the Lord, giving glory to God. What was he doing? Giving praise to God was a form of prayer. The Bible tells us we're supposed to pull down every thought, every high thing that exalts itself against Christ. What did Jesus say? You ask in my name, you will receive. It's pretty simple. You will receive. Now guard your mind because there will be a war that will begin. Amen? Always approach God based on his will or what he desires for your life or the promise. Always approach him with that as your forefront of approaching because we know that he hears us if we ask anything according to his will. Don't wonder. Don't go to prayer thinking, well, I hope this is right. No, no, no. Get what God has said so that you do it right. Amen? Isaiah 43, 26, it says, Declare thou me, when you approach me, declare unto me that thou mayest be justified. In other words, God's saying, Tell me why you are approaching me here at the throne of grace. And you simply say this, God, this is what you said would happen to my enemies. Now, God, it looks like I'm encompassed about by 10,000s 
and thousands upon thousands. I know where to go or what. I don't know what to say or even think. But you, God, told me that no weapon formed against me would prosper. Now, God, I ask you to deal with my adversaries and give me the peace that passes all understanding, not like the world gives, but like Jesus gave me. Now, Father, I count this as a day of my adversaries beginning to fall. And I thank you that you will not stop till they have all caved in. Now stand. What's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll get louder. I don't know. But it doesn't change that I just reminded God and I'm justified in asking him to resolve my problems because he revealed to me what his will was. So I'm confident. Could again, amen. I'm confident. I'm confident. Let's go to Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Here Paul is transforming a church. How many of you want to see our church transformed? I do. How do we want to do that? One person at a time. How do we do that? Someone is going to have to obtain grace on the behalf of those that are striving for the completeness in Christ. Because sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. And sometimes we're blinded and we don't always understand all that's going on. Can I have a Colossians 1.9? There you go. There, thank you. Now, remember, why does Paul pray? To obtain grace. So he sees something in these people that he really cannot break through with his time with them. Well, he's going to preach. I understand. I understand that preaching and transformance of mind, I understand all that. But you can't just preach to people without praying for people. You know, it's kind of like sowing seeds without watering it. Where Joel said, begin to weep between the pillars and the altar. And when they wept, revival came, restoration came, and there came an outpouring of what we call Pentecost. But if you just sow seeds without tears behind it being shed between the porch and the altar, people may never get saved. That may be why we preach to people and nothing happens. They might need the tears that beseech God for grace on the behalf of those that are blind. Colossians 1 9 says, For this cause also, for this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Would you like to see every believer in the body of Christ walking in the will of God in spiritual understanding and knowledge? 
It can happen by prayer. Oh, well, God's going to grow. No, no, no. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, look, I am beseeching God because something will happen when grace comes into your life that I can't do as a prophet, as an apostle, and as a father. Next verse. That you might walk worthy, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, that you would be fruitful in every good work, and you would increase in the knowledge of God. Notice what he said. I want you to walk worthy, worthy unto all pleasing. Walk righteously, sanctified, in faith with God so that you'll be fruitful in every good work. Wouldn't we all want that for other believers? It will happen when we pray, but it will not happen just because the word is preached. Now, I know all the word people say, oh, no, no, no. No, why would he pray? No, prayer is so essential to spiritual growth, transformation, to bring people to the place that God is doing deep works in our life, transforming our souls and helping us discover what the will of God is instead of making it a bunch of do's and don'ts. that you would be strengthened with all might. Would that stop people from getting weary? Would that stop the backslider from caving in? Would that stop the intercessor from stopping to pray? Would that stop the unfaithful from being faithful or the faithful from being unfaithful? Would it? Yes, because it is a might that man cannot obtain to on his own according to his glorious power under all patience, long-suffering with joyfulness. Next verse. Giving thanks to God and the Father which hath made us meant to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Why was Paul praying to transform a church? Why was Paul beseeching God? to do something that only God could do in the deep recesses of man's life. It wasn't just get the word, confess the word, do the word. It wasn't all that. Sometimes folks, people that receive the gospel are weak. They've just been spent, been beat up, spit out, ran over. I felt like that yesterday. And Phyllis went to the grocery, I got some relaxation. I felt rejuvenated when she came back. I'm kidding you. I might not be kidding you, but I won't confess it up here because, oh, well, I'm not going home. So, well, hallelujah. No. How about praying for John? How about praying for Ben and Chandra? How about praying? How about praying? That men will be strong with a strength that does not come from just discipline and inner strength. 
Because bottom line is I never had no inner strength in my life. That's why I became addicted to everything that came along. I kissed Phyllis and got addicted to her lips. She's the first girl I ever kissed. Sober. <laughs> or in love, whatever one it was. Folks, we need to pray. I need your prayers. You need my prayers. If we don't pray, the church will never be the church. It will never be the church. And God will never really be God in our midst. We need prayer for each and every one of us. Our household, our children, our personal walk, our personal endeavors. We need prayer. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask God that you would just put in us the great desire that Paul had that when he first heard of their faith that God had begun to desire certain things to transition in their life that God they would end up being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ Father we need your help we will fail if we just write it down we will fail God in the time frames that we allot. Things will be stolen from us. Things will become disrupted. And God, we will stop praying altogether. God, we need your touch. Awaken us and put in us, God, the desire beyond ourself, the desire to see Jesus in a greater way in others than we may ever hope to obtain in ourselves. That God, we will desire their promotion above ours. That we will see them strong above our strength. God, remind us to pray. Arrest us. Lay hold of us, God. We're asking you as a congregation to just erupt the ordinary steps of Christianity and lay hold of us and make us your voice on the behalf of others. Make us, God, people that stand in the gap that you can flow through to touch others. God, just lead us and guide us. Keep us. Make us people of prayer.